0: All right, before I get to my special guest today, Gary Player, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Top community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, Mclemore offers stay and play packages for guests in club managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit Mclemore online at the com or give them a call at 800. 800- Three two nine eight one five four, Mister Player. Before we get into all of the golf stuff, I wanted to check in with you on how your lovely wife Vivian's doing. I know she's been battling pancreatic cancer. How's she doing?
1: Yes, yeah, she's uh, a lot better than before. We went down to you know we don't believe in chemo and radiation, so we went down to the Natural Immune Clinic in California, and she's so much better. And when you went down there, but Chris, this is a terrible cancer. She's lost 55 pounds in weight, and she sleeps. She likes to sleep a lot, and uh, she's weak, uh, but she's starting to eat better now. You know, you get that. You don't want to eat. But, you know, everybody has uh, a cross to bear in life, and everybody has adversity, so you don't like to give uh, people your problems because they all have theirs. But thanks for asking, my friend. And I've been going out with her for seven years, you know, Chris.
0: Well, I hope the news continues to get better and better. She and uh, the rest of your family are in my prayers, Mr. So
1: I appreciate that very much. Thank you for that, my friend.
0: I wanted to talk, get your thoughts on uh, a couple of different things around the game, particularly what we're seeing right now at the Northern Trust. Obviously, we just saw Scotty Scheffler shoot 59 on Friday, something I know you did. Back in 1974 at the Brazilian Open, wanted to get your thoughts on the frequency. We seem to be 59 was something almost unattainable back in the 70s and 80s, and obviously prior to that. But now we're starting to see more frequently. Is it? Do you think that's the uh, a result of guys being better athletes now, M- more about the equipment? What are your thoughts, Chris?
1: It's a it's a very interesting topic. This, and if you go back. I was 20 years ago, I was saying, and, le- and and I'll tell you what, this is a very serious topic. If you go back 20 years ago, I was saying, listen, with the way the equipment's going now and the condition of the golf course, Chris, let me just go back because I played yesterday with some people, and they said, what's the difference? I said, we were sitting on the veranda, and there was a, a man cutting a green on electrical uh, little machine and he was going sideways sideways not forward sideways up and down the green at a quick speed cut the green in five minutes when I was a young man I used to help cut the green I'd have a little rope and he'd have a hand mower and I'd pull the rope and he'd push with a hand mower so the greens today are like four times better than we ever played in our lives that's why we all had a jab stroke because you couldn't reach the hole it was so slow and if you go back on the old movies. You'll see how the the greens were. I mean, it's just, you you can't believe it. It's like putting on a fringe now. Now, the other thing is, you knock down spike marks now. When Arnold Jack and I played, there were 200 spike marks when we teed off last in in the final round. 200 spike marks. Now, you've got a machine raking a bunker that's the same depth you can set at any depth. From Timbuktu to Johannesburg to Australia to here, the bunkers are the same. We did it, when we first started, we raked with our feet. Then we, we started getting rakes. And the bunkers, I mean, the lies you got in bunkers, and that's why I was such a good bunker player, because I had to learn to play out of all different kinds of lies. Now you go in every bunker, it's like, it's perfection. <laughs> you play for a million dollars every week, first prize. Arnold Palmer was the first to win a $100,000. We thought that was a miracle. I was leading money winner with 29 tournaments, stroke average of 69 and $64,000. Now you can wow. be an ordinary player, an ordinary player today and make at least $2 million a year. It's not the same game. You can't make comparisons between, I mean, is can there anybody in the tour hit the ball like Ben Hogan does now? No, no. Nobody on this whole planet can hit the ball the way Ben Hogan hit it. Ben Hogan won nine majors. And went to war for five years, and then had an accident. So for thirty majors in his prime, he never in his prime he never played in the major, and he won nine, same with Sam Sneed, basically he won seven, and he went to war so look at the look at the equipment that Bobby Jones did Bobby Jones. I don't know if there's ever been a better golfer than Bobby Jones. He played with a walking stick as a shaft. Think about it. The ball went a hundred yards less than now. And I've been saying all the time, we've got to cut the ball back at least fifty yards. We have got to have rough. Otherwise, I'll tell you what. In thirty years' time, Dustin Johnson, this is an amazing statement. I think Dustin Johnson, and Kepka, and Bryson chambro will be pea shooters. Think about what I'm wow. saying. Wow. In 30, I don't know. I don't know what the time is. I don't know what the time is whether it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. But in time, they will be known. Those guys were pea shooters in those days. You're going to have athletes. I played with Justin Tuck, the guy who played for the Eagles. I played with him two days ago. If you saw how this guy is built and how far he hit the ball when he hit it, I mean, we haven't seen anything yet, Chris. We haven't seen it. It's in its infancy. And this is what I cannot understand About the leaders in the game, that they continue. Of course, we live in a very uh, litigious society, so they're probably scared. So I don't know. It just really, really concerns me what's going to happen. You see, we played. You see, Jack Nicholas hit the ball as far as anybody playing today, but on stats, not that in 1961 Jack Nicholas won a long driving competition in Ohio, 341 yards with a Terrible shaft, a terrible ball, and with a wooden head, 341 yards. What would he have done if he used this driver we had now? So people forget these kind of things. And honestly, we, you know, when we played Augusta, we always took up, we laid it up a little bit on the right side, some hit a 3 with. Now they hit over the green. They hit over the green. And I told them, I've told people, and they think I'm talking hogwash, The time is coming when they're going to stand on the first tee at Augusta, which is 454 yards, and they're going to drive it right on the green. And people say, Gary, you're talking nonsense. Then I say, you want me to tell you something? There are guys in the world today that can drive over the green. There are people in the planet today that can drive over the first green at Augusta. Of course, they cannot play yet because, you know, they just that's their speciality is long driving. So we've got to be very careful. The game is going to be Golf courses are going to be obsolete. All of them, even Augusta with this enormous length, they will eventually become obsolete. Now that gives Augusta a big thought for the future. I don't know where we're going, and I tell you it's scary.
0: So let's stay right there, because we know Augusta National has bought up a lot of parcels of land. We read, you know, a couple of years ago about the the purchase of some land behind the 13th tee from the Augusta Country Club. Do you do you imagine that that's what's going to end up having to happen? Is they're going to have to just continue to buy up more and more land so that uh, the golf course doesn't become overpowered by today's player?
1: I don't think that they can because they've already they've already bought the two highways that <laughs> are surrounding the course, <laughs> <laughs> and they bought the piece of ground. But now here's the point, Chris. Here's the point. You know, uh, having designed a lot of golf courses around the world, when you design a golf course now, the biggest factor is water. We are going to see the young people, even in America, fight over water. We're running out of proper water on the whole planet. By the year 2025, the world will be short of 20% of water. Now, the human being... Is resilient, and we'll make water from uh, humidity. We'll do all. We'll have purifiers. We'll do this and do that. But in the meantime, the quality of water and the maximum amount of water is decreasing. So now you build a golf course and you make it ten thousand yards. First of all, you've got to buy the machinery, which the price is outrageous. Secondly, you've got to get water. Thirdly, and th- thirdly, I, I don't believe that you should be allowed to use any drinking water. You shouldn't be able to use drinking water for a golf course, it should all be effluent water from the city. That's my opinion. Now, thirdly, the fertilizer. I'm a farmer. The continuous fertilizing to the extent that they're doing is poison for the ground, for the soil. Unless you use organic fertilizer like chicken manure, horse manure, cow manure, and improve the soil, we are degrading the soil over the years. Fourthly, You've got to hire more people. It just becomes unfathomable to think that you can go to that expense to make your golf courses longer. It's not on the average, per- the average club can't do it. So the whole thing is really depends on one thing. Just take the ball back for professional golf, amateur golf, leave it as it is. But pro golf is a different game. And I was at we had great debates with the R&A. A man called uh, Peter Dawson, and he said that no, Gary said that that the same game for everybody. I said, Peter, it is not the same game for everybody. Just go and stand next to Bryson and Chambon. watch him at a ball. You'll certainly get a shock of your life. You won't say it's the same game for everybody. Pro golf and amateur golf are two different games. Let the amateurs have everything they got to play and enjoy it. Let them come back with the long putter against the chest because many people had the yips and it saved them from having yips and they could enjoy the game. Now they come along so they can't do it. So hundreds of people have stopped playing golf because when you got the yips, it's so unenjoyable. I had a friend, he three-putted from two feet, from two feet. Now he's got another long putter of sorts. He's enjoying golf. We we saw people four-putting and five-putting in golf with the yips. And now they take the long putter away from them and stop them playing golf. Why? But for professional golf, you certainly shouldn't be allowed to anchor it at all. And there should be no anchoring of a putter whatsoever. I don't like this putter where they, you're allowed to put it up in your, in your elbow and along your arm. You shouldn't be allowed to do that anchoring. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm an old fart.
0: <laughs> but you
1: shouldn't be allowed that. You should not be having any anchoring whatsoever. So for me, I'm very perturbed. And another thing that's happening, Chris, which I'd really appreciate if you write this, there is the most terrible fad happening in America right now, Regolf. They're cutting these beautiful trees that have been there for 50 and 60 years. They're cutting them down, Chris. Chris, my brother was the leading environmentalist in the world. And he had a heart attack when he heard about people cutting these trees down. And these golf, you know that Oakmont cut every single tree down? They should be ashamed of themselves. And I'm playing golf courses up here in, in the Philadelphia area, magnificent golf courses, cutting these trees, these beautiful trees down. What we should be doing is planting more. What do we, do we have sufficient oxygen in this world, fresh sure? air? No. We, we complain about the Amazon, and here we're doing the same damn thing. And municipalities should not allow Golf courses, city slickers on committees that know very little about the environment, deciding to cut trees down. Now, I I played at a the other day. You've heard of a Yes. Okay. It's a famous golf course. I'm a member there. And I played with the Greens chairman. And I said, I want to show you something. It was a tee that had the shadow on it all day long. And it was the best conditioned tee on the whole golf course. He got a shock. So, I played golf courses in my life. Many, many, many. I probably played more golf courses than, would well, not played more different golf courses than any man on the planet right now at 85, all around the world. I played golf courses all over the world. They had trees right along the fairway, right around the green, right around the tees, and the course was in perfect shape. We should be ashamed of ourselves. No committee should be allowed to cut trees down. If the trees got disease, that's a different story. We should be planting more trees, not as, and I did a little test. I did a, a clinic for 40 young kids the other day, all around about, the, I would say, average age 10. And I put out a question there. I said, why should we not be cutting the trees out? And it was so encouraging for them to hear, because we're depriving the world of oxygen. It made my day. And so honestly, it's just, it's just a fad. It's it's golf architects that are spreading this propaganda about trees. And I just pray, I just pray that we stop this.
0: Mr. Player, I want to get your thoughts. We're looking ahead to a master's tournament that's going to look very, very different than we've ever seen it. We're going to see uh, a, the golf course in the fall. We've never seen that. We're used to the azaleas and all the color and We're going to see a course where the sun is in a different position than we've ever seen, it. probably a little bit colder conditions, and then no patrons. I want to get your thought on on a master's tournament that is going to not only look different, but sound different than what we're used to. It's
1: going to be a a very, very unusual experience that, you know, there are rules recovered and we have to abide by the rules, but I'm very confused how they can allow all these demonstrators, thousands and thousands of them walking the streets together, and yet you're not allowed to have a golf tournament where people can attend, or sports activities. I'm just, I'm confused. I wish somebody could explain that to me. I, I, I don't I'm I, I'm confused about this. And maybe somebody who knows the whole situation, I'm anxious to know what the answer would be. But, at Augusta, it's going to be a different golf course in November, and it's going to be exciting to see the different challenge that exists in April. And I don't know at this stage. I, I wish they'd let us know because there are only just over two months to go, and everybody ha- around the world has uh, itineraries, and businessmen are going to make decisions, and golf pros are going to make their decisions. Are we going to have a part three? Are we going to have a champion's dinner? Are we going to have the first tea where Jack and I, and if they add somebody, I hope they'll add a man like Lee Elder because he was the first black to play there. And I think that would be a wonderful gesture. But I'm certainly not in the position to tell Augusta what to do. But I think that would be a wonderful, wonderful gesture. I've just got the Medal of Freedom Honor, which is the, the greatest honor bestowed upon me in my life. And so on the Medal of Freedom, I will be talking about freedom because I've had the experience of my life like very few people on the planet now have had. I lived in apartheid. I saw the the apartheid in America when I came here. I remember uh, Charles Sifford. I met him at L.A. in 1957, and I met him and I said, Mr. Sifford, why are you not playing? He said, I'm not allowed to. So I went to the PGA and tried to do my best, and then I flew up to Cleveland to help raise some money, and he never forgot that. And he, when he picked somebody to induct him into the Hall of Fame, he picked a white South African to do it, me. What an honor. I tell you, I saw things in my life, re-freedom, that were, that were a tragedy. That, and just, I went to Berlin after the war, after the war was knocked down. And I saw what socialism did to that country. My goodness me. I wish the young students of America could see that. I only wish they could see it. And to go to countries around the world that have practiced all this socialism, they get the shock of the, they get the shock of their lives. so I've had a life that has been very, very interesting and have seen it with my own eyes and experienced all these things we're discussing this morning. I've actually seen it. I went to my president in South Africa because I wanted to put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid in sport, and I played golf with my president, and I was criticized severely about doing that. But I'm anti-communistic. But if President Xi of China asked me to play golf, I'd play with him because I have respect. I was brought up to have respect for the the leader of your country, whether you agree with his principles or not. You don't have to agree with him, which I don't agree with communism, but I play. Now, when I went to my president and I said, Mr. President, I would like to put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid in sport. It took a lot of balls to say this. I was called a traitor for doing it. And I said I want to bring a black golfer from America, Lee Elder, and he was put under enormous pressure not to go. Here, yeah. we were given permission. Isn't it sad that you had to get permission? Chris, think about that.
0: Right, right.
1: And we play, and he came out and he played in our PGA, and we went to other venues, and it was so successful. They called me a traitor in the airport, in the Cape Town airport. These ultra conservatives called me a traitor. He, he was, he was Chris crucified over here. But, man, did that make a difference. And you know what's interesting, Chris? That athletes get medals for their pro- athletic prowess, and he's never got one single medal for
0: changing the lives of people. Talk about what yeah. that was like. I mean, Charlie Shifford not getting an opportunity to play. Lee Elder not getting an opportunity to play. Uh, took a while for Calvin Pete to get established on the PGA Tour. Talk about the integration, sort of the opportunities that those guys didn't have, and how you guys had to fight to get them you know, to be able to play just in a regular tournament, let alone playing at Augusta National and in a major?
1: Well, it was such a day of joy and satisfaction when everybody, when all apartheid around the world, there was a lot of apartheid around the world. You know, the British had apartheid in their systems way back. So it was, it was such a joy to see, sit in the locker room and see Calvin Pete. Pete Brown, there were a whole bunch of black golfers there, and it was just such a joy to see this wonderful game played around the world and Tiger woods you can never you can never put a yardstick a measure of what he did to encourage golf around the world. I know in South Africa he came to play in at Sun City, which was the biggest prize money tournament in the world, in fact, it was the biggest prize money. Th- uh, last December, as we said, last December was the biggest prize in the world, two and a half million. But Tiger Woods came out there and we hired buses with young black kids and gave them Tiger Woods shirts. And he came out and played. And Tiger Woods inspired people of color around the world. He honestly, and, and he got the Medal of Freedom and he deserved that. He deserved that. President Trump gave him, if I'm not mistaken, President Trump gave him the award. Am I right?
0: Absolutely right.
1: And I really admire President Trump for doing that because President Trump, he does his homework on these things. You know, for me, I can't wait to speak on freedom because I was denied it, not to the extent that a black man was, but I have seen things in my life with the Berlin Wall and many countries, many, many countries that I've seen and been there and what they've done, and to freedom. How lucky are we to have freedom? My goodness me. Well I hope that y'all get my medal and you can listen to my speech on freedom.
0: I'm looking forward to that very much.
1: I don't want to take you too much in my speech now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I look forward to hearing it. Yeah, so play. I want to switch gears a little bit and, and get your thoughts. You you talked about this uh, a little bit ago about putting. And I know I've yeah. I've heard you say many times that Bobby Locke is the greatest putter that, that ever lived. But his putting stroke was was very unique. He lined the ball up on the toe of the putter and sort of came across and, and jabbed at it. But you got to see it a lot. What did you learn anything? Was it possible to learn anything from the way Bobby Locke putted? Interesting. He he didn't have a putting stroke. He aimed
1: if he had a left edge putt, let's say he had a putt left to right one foot. He aimed it three foot to the right. Put the ball on the toe. He took the putter way inside and came around it and moved his body, everything that's contradictory, and jabbed the ball, had no follow-through whatsoever, and was the best putter in the world. And why I say that, Tiger Woods, everybody's saying the best putter, and nobody admires Tiger Woods' as putting more than I do. In the modern era, Tiger Woods is the best putter by a long way. But Bobby Locke played on crap. He never played on greens like they have today. What he would have done on greens like this, I don't know. He came over here and won seven out of 11 tournaments. He won four British Opens. And when they do rankings, the ranking system in America stinks. They don't go by (laughs) record. They don't go by record. They go by charisma. They go by long hitting, all these different things. Bobby Locke's not even mentioned in the top 40 players. He's in the top 15 best players that ever lived, and I've seen them all. But nobody gives him any ranking. He beat Hogan and Snead and Demerit and Nelson like a drum, but nobody ever ever mentions it.
0: You also mentioned about how the the putting stroke has changed, and and you got you know used to have to jab at it because the greens were in such bad condition, and and that sort of thing. Because I, when I look back at the old films of you and Mr. Palmer, Mr. Nicholas playing. There, there was there was a lot of wrist action once upon a time yes. in the putting stroke, and now it's yes. it's completely cut out. Talk about how that's changed.
1: You are very observant, and it's such a pleasure to talk to you when you observe things so correctly. Well, first of all, if you look at Billy Casper, nobody putted better than Billy Casper. You know, he won two majors on the regular tour and two majors on the senior tour. Well, that isn't superstar quality, but it's very good, and he was he, he never followed through. He had his his hands on his hip and he just he cocked his wrist and he just jabbed it. Doug Ford, people don't remember Doug Ford. If you go to a young guy now, he wouldn't know who the hell you're talking about. He won the Masters and the PGA. He was as good a putter. In fact, I think the putters of our day were better than the putters of today. If you take Doug Ford, Bobby Locke, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Ben Crenshaw and Bob Charles of New Zealand, I can go on and on and on. They putted with hundreds of spike marks in their way every day. Hundreds. No knocking down of spike marks. No perfect greens. Played on crap in how they putted. uh, One guy the other day said, oh, he said to me, you know, you and Arnold and Jack and Lee Trevino uh, and Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson, when you guys played, you only had to beat 27 guys. I said, is that so? So I came down here during COVID and I started, but there were 57 players when we played that won majors, 57. There sure ain't 57 players to win majors now.
0: Think so, about it, Mr. Player, you talked about the spike mark. Why was that a rule? Why couldn't you tap down a spike mark when you guys played?
1: Why don't you call the RNA of the USGA? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that is, I'll give silly. you a shock. No, 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 wait. I'll give you something even more astounding. Now, I played yesterday at Marion, and my grandson hit a ball to the green, and it's stuck in the green. Okay? Because the greens have just been punched. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. they got the, the the hollow timing, the punching, whatever word you want to use. And the ball was... The still uh, Yes, aeration. And the ball just... Stuck in the green. My brother-in-law, Bobby Irway, who won a tournament on the regular tour and played the tour here and won the British Open seniors, was playing in the British Open. On the very first hole, he had a wedge to the green. 10, <laughs> you won't believe this. Ten foot from the hole, and it's stuck in the green deep. So he called for a ruling, and they came out, and they said, you've got to play it. So he took his sand wedge out. He aimed two inches behind, took a full swing because it was so deep, Came out at a hundred miles an hour, hit the flag and went in. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> and they changed the rule the next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, great. And you know what? A lot of young people—they've never heard of a stymie. When you were playing match play, if you padded up and your ball stopped two inches from the cup and it was in my line, I had to chip over your ball. There was no such yeah, thing as marking I remember. The ball. So, we've come a long way, but I tell you, we've come a long way, but we're, we're only a third of the way where it's going to end up, and this is what perturbs me. They're going to drive the first green at Augusta. They're going to hit a drive in a wedge at the par five, number two. They're going to drive over the green at number three. They're going to hit a drive in a sand wedge to 15. They're going to hit a drive in a wedge at number 13, which. Uh, I think it was some Papa Watson or somebody did that uh, hit a sandwich a little while ago. Remember?
0: Yes, I do. I remember that? As a matter of fact.
1: We ain't seen nothing. We ain't seen nothing <laughs> yet. Chris, we, it's, it's, I wish. The only thing is, I, I hope that I'm watching. I send Arnold Palmer an SMS every week. Listen, Arnie, make sure you've got a good course up there, my friend, because I want to come <laughs> and play golf with you. Babe. You know, I love you so much and I want to come and play golf with you, but make sure it's a Gary Player design. Straight away, it comes back to hell with you. It's going to be a farmer design. And then I said, that's fair enough. You got there first. But I said, make sure there's a gym, you son of a bitch, because you'd never go to the gym with me when I asked you to go.
0: And I said, at my
1: age, at my age here now, you couldn't break 95, and I'm breaking 70. So make sure there's a gym, and get your ass in there.
0: <laughs> Please write that. <this. laughs> Absolutely, I will. I will send that out. I promise you, that will be a quote coming out uh, as a part of this show.
1: Uh, speaking of <laughs> Gary
0: Player designs, and I, I know that you are know, at the top of the rock, at the legends, and and I don't know if uh, I hope you're going to be playing with Mister Nicholas again uh, this coming week, but um, you've got a beautiful Gary Player design course. Do you mind talking about uh, what people will see at the Gary Player course up there?
1: 12 holes. So I thought I was something do something different and you know the pro is not the important person in golf it's the amateur. So I thought I'd build a 12 hole golf course with our owner there who's a very very nice man and uh, he loves golf. So anyway, we built this nine hole golf course and there was a sinkhole on the property. So the owner and I said, well, why don't we see how big that sinkhole is? The whole damn place was a sinkhole. So we built it like, it was like Ephesus, discovering Ephesus. And we actually built the 12 holes with rocks that had been under the ground. And we built the greens inside the rocks and the views were just spectacular. Now, a father, a son, I'm trying to make golf a family affair because golf, if young people only realize, that golf is a sport, it's play and stay. Every other sport is play and away. I mean, I played with Justin Tuck, the Giants uh, representative. Wonderful man, big, strong man. His career's finished in football when he's 30. Then he then you can hardly walk, and you play three years and you're gone. Golf, man, I'm 85. I'm playing golf five times a week and playing like hell. Averaging 72. So, I mean, you've got, and golf will help you with your business, and you must have a sport to keep you alive. You've got to keep moving. So I built this course, 12 holes, part 3, some long ones, some just a wedge, and people go out there with their family, they have breakfast, they had a few balls, and they play the round quickly, and they can go home and spend the rest of the day doing what they want to do. And it's been a highly successful event.
0: Mr. Player, just a couple more before I let you go. And uh, you mentioned Sam Snead a little bit ago, and Tiger's about to break Mr. Snead's record for most tournaments won. But but I don't think enough people today either know about or appreciate how great Sam Snead was. And he continued to be well into his 60s. I mean, when you won the Masters in 74, he finished in the top 20 just a little bit shy of his 62nd birthday. And then, you know, the year before, became the oldest player to make the cut at the U.S. Open at age 61. Talk about Sam Sneed's greatness and, and uh, how, he, how he was able to continue to be so good well into his 60s.
1: Well, Sam Sneed is my model to try and beat, obviously, because I think when they judge golfers, which they certainly don't do, they don't even look at longevity. It doesn't mean a thing. And Sam Sneed was, a, was the greatest athlete that ever played golf. And he didn't have to do it, which I admire people that do it through weight and training because that's, that's the goal that I set for people as a young man being the first man to be lifting heavy weights over. Even today, I push 350 pounds with my legs at 85 and I exercise like a Trojan. And that was my one dream for this great country of the United States of the world. I get so sick and tired when I hear people saying this is a bad country. Goodness me, my great dream was, what can I do for this great country? Because my brother went to war with the Americans at 17, and my brother-in-law at 17, he died, my brother came back. This is such a great country, it's phenomenal. And so I thought, well, let's see if we can change the youth. The youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. Let's see if I can set an example. And I started weight training. In 1953, and when I came here in 57, I was doing the prolific weight training. They all said, Gary Player is a nut. There's no way you can lift weight. Tiger Woods played his best when he was pumped up to the hilt. All these guys are doing weights. Look at Rory McIlroy in the gym. This is just the start. It's only the start. Look what this Bryson's done. It's only the start. Sam Snead was the greatest athlete the golf has ever had by a mile. And I'm pleased to say I made the cut the guster at sixty three. So that was quite an effort. But I always set him as my goal. I want to be the first man to break my age by eighteen shots. I've beaten my age over two thousand seven hundred times in a row. And wow. I'm averaging i I'm averaging seventy two now on all courses that I've never seen before. I played at Marion yesterday and shot seventy two. Tough, tough course. So Sam Sneed was my my bar to see if I can break his longevity record, and it's it's you. One must have a bar. Tiger Woods has Jack Nicklaus's majors as a bar. Now, if we reverse the situation, remember, Nicklaus finished. He finished second nineteen times in majors. Think about that. Right. Now, if if Tiger Woods had had eighteen majors on the on the on the record books. Nicholas wouldn't have finished second in those nineteen majors. I can tell you, he would have gone and prepared a lot harder, and one or two or three or more. I can tell you. So, the big thing is you cannot do is make comparisons between golfers of different eras. Can't do that. It's impossible.
0: Mr. Player, you mentioned longevity, and when I think about a player's greatness like yours, like Mr. Nicholas, you guys won majors, you know, over twenty years, over a span of twenty-five years. And I look at Mr. Palmer. He won majors over six years. When we talk about <laughs> longevity the those, and you, greatness.
1: You, you, you're one of 10 Americans that know that. <laughs> 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 and remember this, Chris. Arnold Palmer was my dear, dear friend. <laughs> they, they all think that Palmer won for over 20 years, and we didn't. <laughs> 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 and that's fair <laughs> enough. He was my dear friend, and he was an icon. He was an American icon, so good luck to him that he could convince the people about that. <laughs> so I have no bitterness about that. <laughs> you know, Chris, they when they judge players, I won more majors than Arnold Palmer on the regular tour. I won more majors than he won on the senior tour. I was the only player in the world to win the Grand Slam on both tours. I won more money than he did on the regular tour, and he played a hell of a lot more tournaments than me. I won more money than he did on the seniors' tour, and I won a total of 165 tournaments and 18 majors, regular and senior, and they say he was better than me. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I don't blame him because I loved him as much as they did.
0: (laughs) But to that point, Mr. Player, when I think about greatness, I think about longevity, and I think about sort of the power of the mind In order to be able to achieve the things that you did, and the things that Mister Nicholas did, and the things that Tiger Woods is doing, to me, those those are the things that separate you three from everybody else. Doing it for as long as you did, and the power of your mind. Talk about that.
1: You see, Chris, I haven't. Let me tell you something. I haven't spoken to a press man in my life that is knowledgeable, seriously, as you are. Never. I mean, you you obviously studied this. And the my, the thing that wins tournaments... You know, I played with golfers, Chris, that was so much better than me in practice rounds. But when the bell went, I kicked their ass. There's something called it. Now, can you describe it? Impossible. No psychiatrist. Nobody can describe it. And there are about 12 or 14 players that have ever lived and have that thing called it. Now, you... To win tournaments, have got to have a special mind. To win lots of majors, not a normal tournament, to win special majors, you've got to have a special mind, number one. And the other thing is you've got to putt like hell. And look at Tiger Woods and look at Phil Mickelson. They were actually two of the worst drivers of a golf ball I saw with top players in my lifetime. But they were number one and two. Why? They both had a phenomenal mind. And they were both geniuses round the green. I mean, Tiger Woods in modern era is the best putter by a mile. There's nobody playing today. Nobody playing today that could play anywhere near Tiger Woods the way he played at his best. He was far ahead. And if Tiger Woods never made a few wrong decisions in his life, like he wins the U.S. Open by 15 shots, not five, 15, and he's having a lesson two weeks later. Why? Why? If he never made silly little mistakes, which we all do, by the way. I'm not critical. We all do that, but if, 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 unfortunately ifs are eliminated from everywhere, the record books and everything. But if he stayed without a lesson, he would have won 22 majors. Bad decision he made.
0: Well, Mr. Player, so, before I let you go, and I've said this to you a couple of times, but I want to, I, I know you get interviewed thousands of times a year, but I want, I want you to know you are the voice of my conscience. when I'm about to go eat something, I probably shouldn't go grab some <laughs> sugar, go grab some ice cream or whatever. I hear Gary players voice in my head. Oh, tell me, what, what are you doing, man? That's poison. <laughs> go eat something else. But I want to remind well, you it's a... <laughs> that, your voice in my head.
1: That's a great compliment, Chris, because I'm trying to show young people, man, I, I pushed 350 pounds of my legs the other day. I ran on the treadmill at Mac. I mean, I do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sit-ups, and I'm playing like crazy, and I just love America, and I love playing golf, and I love people. I tell all young people, if you want to live a long time, there's a Tibetan, a Tibetan slogan by a philosopher who said, if you want to live long and well, You've got to eat half as much, you've got to exercise twice as much, and you've got to laugh three times as much, because the endorphins, whatever it is, go through your system, and it's a tonic leading to longevity. And the fourth thing, you've got to have unmeasured love in your heart. And there's a lot wow. in that, isn't there? Yes, But there you is. know what? I... You know what percentage of Americans do that? Maybe 1%. <laughs> <laughs> We all eat like it's the last supper.
0: <laughs> yes, we do. Guilty.
1: But you see, you see, our interview. How much, how much I laugh because I tell you, it's it's a great tonic. And we all have worries and difficulties and adversity. And the other thing is, the reason I became a champion was because I had tons of adversity as a young man growing up. And not to complain, give other people my problems that it was the greatest gift bestowed upon me. And if young people would realize that, that they live in a land of milk and honey. They live in a land where they got television. They got a bed. They got three meals a day. They got a car. They got a school. They got parents. Man, it's hard. It's hard to grow up tough and contribute to a country when you not have a little bit of adversity.
0: Well, Mr. Player, this, this is always the highlight of the year when I get to spend some time with you. This is, I'm blessed to be able to say this is the eighth time I've had the opportunity to interview you. You've, you've been so gracious to come on and, uh, and be a part of my show, Next on the Tee, every year since uh, I first got started. And I want to share just a real quick story with you. Back in the day when I was uh, wanting to be able to do a show like this, a podcast like this, uh, the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, was sort of leery about doing a golf show. They they weren't sure that people would listen to a golf show. And they gave me one chance to prove that uh, people would listen. And my very first show, I got to interview you and I got to interview Billy Casper. And it became one of the highest rated shows of the year on that network. And they said, OK, you can do it. So and I've been doing uh, it ever since. Uh, so this is a uh, lot to do with uh, how great you are.
1: Well, God bless you, and God bless America.
0: All right. Take care, Mr. Player. Thanks. All the best to you and your family. I hope I get the uh, the opportunity to get media credentials and do it there as well.
1: You know, um, unlike other athletes, I in majority of them, I never, ever refuse an interview irrespective of what it is. Take care. All
0: right. You too, Mr. Player. All the best to you and your wife.
1: Bye-bye, my friend.
0: Bye. That's a great Gary Player, folks. Boy, it sure doesn't get much better than that. A couple of compliments there that uh, I will certainly cherish forever. He's, uh, he's a wonderful man, like I say, eight times. That's uh, a huge privilege to be able to talk to Gary Player uh, that number of times. Look forward to catching up with him again soon. Folks, be sure to check out our website next on the t. Net, to see what our guest schedule looks like. Looking forward to this Tuesday night when my guests will be Tom Patry, Michael Breed, Charlie Reimer, and the uh, president of the McLemore, Dwayne Horton. Should be a fantastic show. Join us Tuesday night, 8 o'clock. Check us out on on nextontheT.net. We'll have a link right there for you to stream the show live or later as a podcast. And our continued thanks to our good friends over at podcast.co, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Those guys have been fantastic to us in helping me grow the show. Folks, until Tuesday night, hit them straight, my friends.